Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Brian Starley. It's so good to be back with you and Anna, and I'm glad we're going to get to hang out after this and see your beautiful children, everybody's beautiful kids running around here. So, yeah, how are you guys feeling? Oh. Sometimes, sometimes you have an issue when you travel, which is you, you can sometimes get into a climate where it feels like you're sort of pushing up against a brick wall to hear something from the Holy Spirit. And you come into other climates where you're getting so much, it's so explosive. There's so much revelation that's just in the air. Things are happening uh, in the realm of the Spirit so dynamically, and you have so much swirling, so much going on that you're like, oh my goodness, how, how do I get into all of this and avoid preaching the eternal gospel here? So I'm excited tonight. I do uh, want to teach... Uh, on, on revival, specifically uh, revival, sovereignty, and human agency and how these intersect. I know those sound like things that are very lofty and in a sense some of, uh, some of it is. And these are issues that theologians have went back and forth, back and forth on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we're, this is gonna be very condensed tonight. Uh, don't worry, I'm not, we're not gonna get too bogged down in the theological aspects and concepts and uh, philosophies and things like that. We're going to take some of these things that have been argued about that are complex and we're going to condense them, narrow it down, make it more simple. Uh, because I do think it's very important for us. We're also gonna have time for impartation at the end, uh, more prayer for healing. I'm sure we'll have other words of knowledge for healing. But I wanna encourage you with something uh, quickly, as I love what you were sharing, Jake, about uh, the Lord opening up that, that more explosive realm for healing in the body of Christ. I believe that God is very jealous over his deposits. So we sort of look at things in terms of, okay, there was this move that just happened over here, and we had a good time, and it was great, and we had this over here, and we have this over here. But we really need to view the gifts and deposits of the Holy Spirit more in line with the Orthodox tradition which is that the gifts, when you experience the gifts, you are experiencing God himself. When you're experiencing revivals, which is something that now is, my first book that I'm writing is on key lessons in revival. It's one of the greatest passions of my life. Uh, Ironically, it used to be something that I felt kind of inimical to, not very passionate about, because when I was coming up in church in the Pentecostal circles, it was, revival was sort of referred to as this sort of ethereal, you know, lofty thing, like what even is it? It's very ill-defined or everybody comes and, and just is at the altar and, and maybe lots of people cry or this and this happens and they're like, well, we just had a powerful revival meeting. And then you would sort of watch and, and not necessarily see very much fruit or change taking place. And the reality is in authentic revival, it's a stamp of God himself. I love the words of a great, one of the, in my opinion, uh, one of the greatest revival theologians, Winky Pratney, who says revival is a divine assault on society. So, you know, as, as we're contending for these things that, and contending for the awakening that God is, is uh, intending to bring about, we have to keep in mind that we are experiencing God himself when we experience revival, and it's something very near to his heart. And so... Uh, I was going to say something, and my mind is totally 
wandered off. I was gonna encourage you guys about healing. So we're gonna be talking about revival tonight, but to encourage you about healing, I believe that God, as I said, is jealous over these deposits, and I think that many of the things that we've witnessed in times past, specifically in the 40s and 50s, salvation and healing revival through men like William Branham, T.L. Osborne, Oral Roberts, uh, even in, moving into the 70s with the Jesus movement and the explosion of the vineyard shaking the church and uh, in America and the UK making waves, what happened with uh, the late Catherine Coleman, these deposits of healing by the Holy Spirit of God, I believe, are being freshly rekindled, freshly stirred up, freshly awakened in the body again, and we're really seeing some tremendous things, and what I want to specifically encourage you with is uh, we're going to have words of knowledge tonight, but you don't need a word of knowledge for, uh, to be healed. You don't have to wait until I'm in ministry time for, to be healed, because God doesn't need Brian's permission to come and touch you and to heal you. And I wanna encourage you as well, and in, even in the midst of the impartation tonight, I learned this from Randy years ago, where God's presence is, so is his power to heal. And we are seeing a beautiful thing in the sovereignty of the Lord moving and healing in the midst of the impartation. No prayer for healing, no words of knowledge, not even an emphasis uh, on our hearts going that direction. Just in the midst of impartation as people are being filled with the Holy Spirit, healings are breaking out. In a really tremendous way, I was preaching earlier this year uh, at Bethel Church in Redding, California, and while I was preaching, I get to the end, again, not focusing on healings, focusing entirely on impartation, and the Lord was just sovereignly outbreaking left and right all around the room. Uh, one young lady, I believe in, in her early 20s, I wanna say 21 or 22, comes running up to me afterwards in the hall, and she's like, watch this, watch this, and she's sprinting up and down the stairs. Her friend is filming her, and you know, someone just comes up to you, watch this, starts running up and down the stairs. You're kind of like, all right, you know? And she's ecstatic, and she's in tears, and I'm, I'm just like, what's going on? And, and you know, this setting, I can see you guys really well. When you're in a big, have any of you, any of you seen the Reading Civic Auditorium? So when you especially picture that type of a setting, basically concert size setting, and then holy chaos going on all around the room, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on. So I'm seeing things happening all over. I'm not sure you know, exactly what's happening everywhere. So this is going on and I'm not aware of it. And she's telling me about this healing she experienced. She's sitting way in the back, I think upper left, and she said, when you prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, I felt something drop on me, it threw me to the ground. I shook for 20 minutes, and as I was shaking, I heard a small whisper say, I'm healing you right now. And she was born with, I don't remember what the name of the brain condition was, but essentially it affected her uh, as if she had a very intense vertigo. And so she said, if I were to either decelerate or accelerate too quickly, I would basically faint and black out, especially if it was on an uneven surface. And here she is now sprinting up and down the stairs, uh, totally healed from this incurable brain condition that she's had. And, and uh, it was very fun. Actually, when I traveled to Kalamazoo, Michigan, I think I, I met uh, the parents of this girl. They were talking about how it just absolutely transformed her life. And uh, God is doing things like this, even in the midst of impartation. So he doesn't need my permission. He doesn't need your permission to heal you. Uh, I think he would like it. I think he likes our openness, but, he, but I love that scripture says that the Lord does what he pleases. And he pleases to heal. So I want us now, uh, quickly to open up just before we get more into the notes about revival. I know I'm talking fast because as I said, I'm trying to cram a lot in here, not go too long. When do you guys normally wrap up, Jake? Because I want to be honoring of time. It's seven-ish? Okay, good. And it's, what time is it now?
Oh, goodness. All right. All right. So you guys just forgive me if I'm talking uh, fast here. I want us to open up quickly to 1 Peter. And uh, I'm actually, just for the sake of time, going to go ahead and begin reading from this. Because if you cannot uh, speak of or emphasize revival apart from the person of the Holy Spirit. Because as I said, we're, it's, it's not just some philosophy, empty philosophy that we're experiencing. It's not just experiencing a manifestation. It is God himself coming and stepping in. Another definition of revival by Winky Prattney is that revival is when God gets so fed up with being misrepresented, he decides to come in person and represent himself. And this is what we're experiencing when we're experiencing moves of God. We're experiencing the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And I want us to, in light of that, look at this in First Peter, because I want you guys to be encouraged in this time as everything around you is swirling with discouragement, with disillusion, with disheartening. We need to be injected with hope afresh from the Spirit of God. So First Peter 1 says, from Peter, an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one to the chosen ones. Uh, by the way, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. The wording may vary a little bit uh, from your Bibles. Who have been scattered abroad like seed, don't you love that? Into the nations living as refugees to those living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and throughout the Roman provinces of Asia and Bithynia. You are not forgotten, for you have been chosen and destined by Father God. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus Christ, who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, even though lately you've had to put up with the grief of many trials. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes, for even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. You love him passionately, although you do, uh, did not see him, but through believing in him, you are saturated with an ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime, and immersed in glory. Amen. You are reaping the harvest of your faith, the full salvation promised you, your soul's victory. This salvation was the focus of the prophets who prophesied of this outpouring of grace that was destined for you. They made a careful search and investigation of the meaning of their God-given prophecies as they probed into the mysteries of who would fulfill them and the time period when it would all take place. The spirit of the anointed one was in them and was pointing prophetically to the sufferings that Christ was destined to suffer and the glories that would be released afterwards. Listen to this. God revealed to the prophets all these powerful men and women of old that we look up to, that we reveal, God revealed to the prophets that their ministry was not for their own benefit, but for yours, for your benefit, for my benefit. They poured out their lives. Uh, you have heard these things from the evangelists who preached the gospel to you through the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the gospel containing wonderful mysteries that even the angels long to get a glimpse of. You and I have been given something that the angels long to look into in the mystery of the gospel. And that in, in the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. 
And he dealt with, yes, the sin issue at the, cost, uh, at, the, at the cross, absolutely. But deeper than that, the purpose of Jesus' coming was to be the second Adam. It was to undo the works of the first Adam. This is why it's so powerful to understand what Jesus meant when he said the strong man has been bound. He was the stronger man. And in binding the strong man and inaugurating the kingdom of God through the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit, the sin issue being there was just the obstacle in the way. The ultimate purpose was not simply to eradicate sin. The ultimate purpose was to restore what it was that the first Adam enacted as the last Adam, which was that you and I would be able to be recipients, inheritors of the new covenant spirit, the new, this is what the new covenant is about, in short, is that you and I could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 59, 21, the Lord says, this is my covenant with them. And he's speaking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he says it will rest on you and on your descendants and upon their descendants from as many as the Lord God would call. Peter cites again in Acts 2, 2.39 in his Pentecostal address, as cited by the prophet Joel. And it's so beautiful to look at this because it says that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, Joel's prophecy, the sons and the daughters would prophesy, the old men would dream dreams, the young men would receive visions, and even on the servants and the handmaidens, he would pour out his spirit. What does that mean? Ageless, genderless, classless, to the lowest common denominator, God levels the playing field. That you and I would be inheritors of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful news for us. We don't, we don't really gra- grip, uh, grip this in our hearts. We don't really fully grasp this. This shatters any paradigm for a mediocre Christianity. I remember very early on when I began, right after I got saved and I started, how many of you remember what it was like when you you first come to Jesus and you get back and you look at the Bible again? It's like, is this even the same book? Because now the Holy Spirit is able to reveal the mysteries to you. And I'm I'm reading the life of, the the lives of, about the lives of the uh, apostles, the disciples, those who are walking with Christ, And I didn't realize it, but I actually kind of started to become a little bit embittered at the Lord in my heart. And the reason was I I was kind of starting to come to the Lord and complaining like, God, this is so unfair. Have you ever thought that? This is what I mean. It's so unfair. They got to have you hand in hand with them walking the earth. Like how much easier would things be if I just got to go consult Jesus in person? If I could just, just... If Jake was Jesus and I could just schedule an appointment and come and just have a counseling session and I think I'd get some things sorted out a lot more quickly. So I'm like, God, why this, you gave them this tremendous advantage. This is so unfair. And I didn't realize I was kind of getting uh, into a bit of a spiraling mindset in this and God lovingly rebuked me and really did a paradigm shift in my, in my thinking, in my heart. And this is what he said. He said, Brian, for you to believe that it would be better for my son Jesus to walk with you in the flesh is the equivalent of viewing the Holy Spirit as a second class member of the Godhead. You and I have not been called as the recipients of a lesser promise. The Holy Spirit is God himself, and those of us who are in his kingdom have his spirit within us right now. The Holy Spirit is within us right now, dwelling within you right now. And this is beautiful news. And it's beautiful news that we're called to co-labor with him. It's the great co-mission. We're not just called to take up space. Do you know that? Do you know that you're, you're literally in the army of God? Right now, 
And so part of that, as I said, we're going to be speaking about revival and about sovereignty. Part of that is understanding what it means uh, with the fact that we have constant access to his throne. An early uh, Puritan theologian, Thomas Watson, said this about about our, our, our need to go before Christ. He said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than you and I go before the throne of grace. That's powerful. And that's sadly true. But it doesn't have to be true in our lives. Because Jesus has made way for you to have 24-7 access, constant access, eternal access. You're never gonna come and ask and seek and knock on his door and have him deny you. He's never, I promise you, he'll, he's, he's never gonna push you away. He's never gonna get tired of you spending time with him. It's not a chore for him. He loves you. And so we have a part to play in coming to the Lord and partnering him in the subject of revi- uh, blah, revival. And so there's a, a uh, scripture, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 that Actually, let's, let's look at that quickly. 2 Corinthians 1.20, I'll just read it here. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us, by us, by us to the glory of God. Now, there's even a popular song. I don't remember the name of the song. I can never remember the name of it. That has either in its chorus or bridge, it says all your promises are yes and amen. And it's lifted from this, Uh, phraseology in scripture, and it's absolutely true. But what happens with us is we hear that, we think about the promises of God, we say, yes, they are yes and amen, God's prophesied it, there's there's been a word, there's gonna be revival in this region, there's, okay, God, I thank you, I receive that, and then we unknowingly lull ourselves into sort of a Christian easy boy recliner where we sit back and just wait for the manifestation of the promises. A prophetic word is never a deliverance from personal responsibility. So the amen is spoken by us. How do you and I do that? We need to think about it like this. God's already declared his yes. So to ask the question, does God want to bring revival? It's the wrong question. The question is, what do we do? What do you and I do to correctly posture ourselves under that faucet so that that living water coming from his throne into our hearts can flow outward from us to the world around us? That's the right question. What do you and I do? It's not, does God want to do it? Now, I absolutely understand things like, like timing and the sovereignty is the other half of it. But that's it, just it, it's half. Half of the equation is not by might, not by my power, uh, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's God's end of the deal. My end of the deal is Matthew eleven thirteen. from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent lay hold of it by force. That's my end of the deal. So I wanna tell you a story uh, quickly that really illustrates this because we, 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 I've, I've seen this, this trend, this, this sort of disturbing trend uh, within especially, and I, listen, I'm, yeah, I, you may not think it, but I, I am fully charismatic. I love charismatics. I, I am a charismatic. Uh, but we, we have a few issues in the charismatic movement, just a few. One of those is I'm seeing a trend of what I think to be people becoming experts at decreeing and declaring and novices at hearing and obeying. Does that make sense? So we're not gonna decree our way into an awakening. It's not gonna happen. God looks for surrender. He looks for yielded hearts, yielded vessels, and he looks for obedience. 
Isaiah 6, 8, the Lord is seeking. There's always this partnership. There's always this relationship. And the response is, here am I, send me. This is what God is looking for. You remember when you were in school and you're always told, don't be the pick me kid? Well, that, in the kingdom, God wants you to be the pick me kid. He wants you to pester him. Ask, seek, knock, and then the door will be opened unto you. This is, he's looking for this partnership element. So I want to tell you a story uh, from one of, my, one of the greatest revivals in the history of the church. It was in 1949 in the nation of Argentina. And it began under the ministry of a man by the name of Robert Edward Miller. I want to encourage you to read Miller's writings, especially a book called Secrets of the Argentine Revival. You can find it very easily, very small, quick read. It's absolutely astounding what God did. And I, I wish I could, we could really take the whole time to just talk about the Argentine revival. Um, but I want to tell you one story in particular. And Edward was, the, the climate of Argentina, to give you guys a little bit of an idea for the backdrop at the time, uh, it was declared by the most prominent mission boards in the U.S. that sent Miller there. They said it was the least fruitful climate in the entirety of the Western Hemisphere for any gospel work to be accomplished. The, it, it, was, it was basically like Corinth on steroids. Uh, everybody was gripped in paganism. Their, 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 their president was uh, literally in the occult. Like if we, you know, I'll get to that in a second. Their, their president was in the occult. Their social welfare minister was an occultist. They were hand in hand with the witch doctors. There was opioid addiction, rampant alcohol, alcoholism, rampant uh, uh, tremendous sexual promiscuity. Uh, there was deep, deep, deep darkness in the climate of Argentina. And Edward Miller is there and he's laboring, trying to see the kingdom come, working for the kingdom to be established, working to plant churches to reach people and, and is considering giving up, not only considering giving up, but he gave up again and again and again and God would have to drag him back kicking and screaming. And so he decides how am I going to reach these people? He, he's starting to actually acknowledge his own inadequacy and brokenness and his own lack of ability to see this accomplished. And so he says, I'm going to go on a fast. So he goes on a fast, and he gets about 10 days into a fast, and the Lord speaks to him, and he says, Edward, what are you doing? And it's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? He said, I'm, I'm fasting that you would send an awakening to my nation of Argentina. And the Lord spoke this to him. He said, an empty stomach is not the coin of heaven, but rather the blood of Jesus. As obviously, it's not, does this not mean that God is anti-fasting? It does mean he's redirecting Edward's perspective. It's about me. It's about my blood. He redirects him, and he tells Edward, I want you to call together a prayer meeting, tell the people that they have to pray with you four nights, from 8 to 12 p.m., and if they're not prepared to pray from 8 to 12 p.m., tell them they don't bother coming. And uh, as anyone in the ministry knows, prayer meetings are always widely attended. So what happens is he has four people show up. None of them wanted to be there. Uh, one was an elderly woman. One was a man who was called to be a minister, tremendously backslidden, and his wife. And there was another uh, very, very shy young lady who was there. And they were... Uh, called together, Miller's praying, and he's pouring out his heart. He, he's, he's 
passionately just contending for awakening to come, contending for revival. He's sobbing, he's singing to the Lord, he's crying out. And the whole time he writes that he had no participation from anyone else with him. And he gets to the end and he's just pleading with them, basically spiritually grabbing them by their shirt and shaking them, saying, did any of you have God speak any word to you, anything? And no one said anything. And finally, the fourth young lady who was there, excuse me, the fourth person who was there, the young lady who was very shy, came to him and she said, listen, there, there's something that I was kind of feeling, but there's, there's absolutely no way that it's the Lord. And it would be so foolish for me to do it. And he's like, well, what? What is it? Tell me. And she said, I keep seeing in my mind that I'm supposed to walk up to the pulpit that's in the center of the room and make a fist and hit it. But it's, it's, that's so stupid and there's no way I'm gonna do that. And he's begging her to do it and she tells him no. He finally concedes, they go home. They reconvene the next three nights with the same thing happening. Now, the fourth night, they get to the end and Miller tells this young lady, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're all going to march around the pulpit we're going to sing this hymn and worship to the Lord. And one by one, we're going to take our hand and we're going to strike it. Then will you do it? She said, okay, then I'll do it. So they marched around the pulpit. Now, this is critical as well. The, the whole story is critical, but this, this element in particular. Miller hits it, nothing. First person hits it, nothing. Third, fourth, nothing. The one who heard the word do it. The one God spoke it to. When she hits it, I said it was like a, a new wave of Pentecost. A, a literal torrent wind swept through the building, knocked them all on their backs. That the backslid man called into the ministry, rolled into the chair, and began screaming out in tongues. And that birthed the Argentine revival of dozens of thousands of people coming into the kingdom of God. The, the river of God sweeping through Argentina. The occultists uh, being overthrown. The the uh, witch doctors coming to the Lord and, and into the paganism and, in, and into the promiscuity uh, and into the, the economic collapse and crisis, complete 180 from this one woman hearing God say, go make a fist and hit the pulpit. That birthed the Argentine revival of 1949. That's astounding. And this, I picked that story in particular, not only because I love it, but because it illustrates these factors working in tandem together. Because there obviously was a sovereign element, otherwise this would be the key to revival. It's, it's never about the word itself. It's always about obedience to the one who spoke it. And God does things in, the, in these really bizarre ways, these really unusual ways, because he knows that human beings fall absolutely head over heels in love with patterns. See, if, if God did this with most of us today, we would write, I, I, if this happened with me, I would, I would, God knows I would start Pulpit Hitters International. <laughs> I'd, I'd develop an e-course about why glory comes when you strike the pulpit. <laughs> develop 15 keys, have a whole systematic theology in place. God knows that we would do that. He knows that the temptation of the religious spirit is always to reduce the grace of God to something formulaic. And God's very aware of this. And so it's why he chooses to do things in these very radical, very bizarre ways. But it's, never about, it's not about hitting the table. It was about her obedience 
to what he declared to her, to what he spoke to her to do. Remember when the curse of sin was initiated in the Garden of, uh, of Eden. It was not about the quantity of fruit. It was about the quality of the disobedience that brought it about. And the same is true uh, in the opposite realm when it comes to our obedience. It's not about how much work can you do. It's not about how much can you prophesy that revival's coming, how much can you decree and declare it, how much can you do all of these things, or even good things, good works in the kingdom. It's simply about when he, what he tells you to do, those key moments, are you gonna be obedient? And God chooses out of his sovereignty to partner with human vessels. If you want a very, very easy example of, of this in action of the sovereignty of God and human agency in, in action, it's anytime you prophesy over an individual. Anytime you deliver a word of knowledge, because you can't fabricate hearing from God. So God sovereignly decides, I'm going to give a word to this person. And your role is then to take that and act on it and deliver it. Uh, uh, recently, um, how recently? How long, when do we have VOA? I don't remember. A few months ago, I think, we had a Voice of the Apostles. We had sometime in October. And just before Voice of the Apostles, uh, a few months earlier, Randy recruited me to join our Global Awakening Theological Seminary program, master's program. And in this program, uh, early on, one of our assignments was to read The Essential Guide to Healing. Has anyone ever read that book by Randy and Bill Johnson? And uh, if you've read that book, if not, I want to encourage you to get it, read it. It's a powerful book. Uh, but in that book, in the early chapters, it's Randy's uh, explanation of his journey, learning about healing for the for not the first time, but more the methodology, methodologies for the first time, learning about words of knowledge. And he travels to Mozambique to meet with the pastors who are seeing uh, all these tremendous miracles, people raised from the dead on a regular basis that work with Dr. Uh, Heidi Roland Baker and their ministry, Iris Ministries. Randy travels, he's meeting with the pastors and he's asking them, well, how do you get these words of knowledge from God? Are you hearing them? Are you seeing visions? What's happening? And they said, none of those ways. And he said, well, what do you mean? Those are all the ways I know that you can receive them. And they said, we dream them all. And I'm not new to operating in words of knowledge. I've been doing it for a long time. But I, I realized, wow, I think there's only been one time that I've ever had a word of knowledge through a dream. And you have not because you asked not. So I said, God, I want to start getting more dreams. I had to travel that weekend to Michigan, went there, had one experience through a dream, came back home, and had a second one that I want to uh, focus on here. I go to sleep one night. And I see a picture of a black leather jacket, and it has, uh, I don't know if you guys will know, what this is, will know what this is, but in Greek mythology, there's something called a harpy. It's a really weird-looking bird thing. And it was sewn in red stitching onto this leather jacket. Underneath it, inscribed under the jacket, was Brandon. Next to Brandon was cancer. And I woke up, and uh, I've learned... It took a long time for me to learn this. I was very stubborn, but I've learned if you don't write it down, you're not going to remember it. And that's really true. So if you're having things from the Lord, write them down. People told me write them down for years, and I just wouldn't do it. So write them down. And I wrote it down, woke up the next morning, and I was thinking, wow, that was really weird. That probably was the Lord. And so... VOA was coming up in, a, in just a few days, and I said, it's probably going to be for someone to voice the apostles, and I, you know, wrote, had it written down and moved on. Wasn't thinking about it. Went to go buy some sparkling water from uh, Wise grocery store. We live basically right across the street uh, from there, and I'm walking, and in the parking lot, I see these four huge biker guys, and all of them have black leather jackets with a red harpy sewn onto the back of it. 
So again, you know, we're speaking about, and this isn't a story about revival, but this is just showing you an illustration. God, we, if we ask and God gives it, that was sovereignty. It was sovereignty to have these men there. But what he's looking for is, okay, what is this man or this woman now going to do with what it is I've given them? Remember before one of the greatest Old Testament encounters of Moses encountering I am in the burning bush, he first turned aside to see who spoke to him, and then the encounter was initiated. Same with John, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. God looks for what are they going to do? He's saying, okay, Brian, you've asked for this. I've given it to you. What are you going to do? Now, I didn't, I didn't want to talk to these guys. They all looked like they were going to kill me. <laughs> you can see I'm not a very big guy. These are all Hulk Hogan guys. They're all armed and very intimidating looking. And I didn't want to do it, but I, I've, I've learned at this point, just trust the Lord. And so I walked up to them. Before I could even say anything, they said, what do you want? And I'm like, nothing, just, I just want to talk to you. Um, trying to keep my voice from shaking, you're trying to keep from trembling. And I'm like, another thing if, if with, I'm telling this as well because I believe God's going to start to do more things like this with you guys. I'm going to activate you more deeply in this in the evangelistic sense uh, and, and activate words of knowledge more deeply in you tonight. Uh, but you have to act on it. That's, that's the key. He'll give it to you. He will, if you ask him, he will give it to you. But uh, all the difference in the world is how you respond. Even when you don't feel like doing it. I didn't feel like doing it. I was scared to death. And people are going to think you're crazy. You have to remember dignity is not a fruit of the spirit. People, people are going to think you're insane. And so I told them, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. But I saw that harpy on your jackets in my dream last night. And, that, you know, they're looking at me how you would expect. And I said, I'll prove it to you. Which one of you is Brandon? And they turn and look at this one guy obviously indicating that he was Brandon. And he said, who's asking? And I said, no one important, just me, I'm nobody. But I do think I am hearing from God for you because he loves you. And I, next to your name in this dream, I saw the word cancer. Do you have cancer? I'd love to pray for you. I think God wants to heal you. And it was silent. I didn't know what they were thinking. And he speaks up and I was floored by what he said next. He said, I haven't talked to God in 20 years but I know it was him who gave you that dream because when I stopped is when my mother passed away from cancer 20 years ago. And he started to tear up. These other men are just stupefied. They don't know what to do. And uh, I was kind of caught off guard. Saying, okay, wow. And I said, well, this, I would love to pray for you. And before I prayed for him about that, I had a second word about, I think it was a, a damage that happened to his L4 vertebra from bouncing up and down for so many years on the motorcycle. Uh, and I prayed for his back, his back gets healed. And normally in this type of a setting, what I like to do is I'll say, what Jesus just did here, he wants to do in every part of your life. Before I could even say that, he, Brandon starts weeping and crying out for repentance and giving his life to the Lord. And if I've ever heard a genuine turning to the Lord, it was from Brandon in that moment. I got to lead all four of those men to the Lord. And just this is, this is how your human agency works with the sovereignty of the Lord. Even when it's not comfortable, even when you don't want to do it, God is looking for partnership through you and I. And so uh, this, I wanted to share that story and, and the story about Miller and the Argentine revival because, again, it illustrates these things working together. It illustrates that uh, role of partnership. And I had some other things I was going to get into, but I don't uh, quite know if I have the time for that. So I'll just say this. Uh, no, I'm going to go here. All right. Uh, turn, turn with me quickly to 
2 Kings 20. And again, this is going to, just a little bit more illustration on how these things work in tandem together. Verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, I would say a pretty reputable guy, pretty accurate. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Isaiah tells him this. This isn't just some, ra- just, uh, some random Facebook prophet. <laughs> this is from Isaiah. You're going to die, you will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, remember Lord how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes and Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord, I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Now, this, is, this stuff kind of blows my mind. You're going to die. You will not recover. And what happens? There's a complete change in the direction. We can also see an example of that in Exodus 33. And verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Isn't that encouraging? When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And... I'll skip down here to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Again, it's, I think what we're seeing happening here, we have to remember also that Scripture says that God is not a man that he should change his mind. So we're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Is it, is God a man that he should change his mind? Does he change his mind as a man? Is there a variation in him? Is there a shadow of turning? No, there's not. That's absolutely true. Is it true that these men also petitioned him, caught his heart, and got what they wanted? It's true. It's not it's, it's not contradictory, but it is paradoxical. And what we're seeing really is not, when we, we think of things, we don't have the mental or spiritual capacity to understand the mind of God. We think very linear. God is this, not this. What we're seeing happening is God looks for, again, what are they going to do? Are they going to lean in? Are they going to hear my heart? 
Are they going to take hold of this? How are they going to respond in this moment? And if anyone's wondering, well, that's just in the Old Testament, I can't think of anywhere clearer than in John chapter two with Jesus at the wedding of Cana. It says, on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Another key for revival. Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And uh, we'll just stop there. And we're all, I'm sure, very uh, familiar with that story. So Jesus had zero intentionality of performing a sign. Zero. In fact, he desired the opposite. This is why he tells her, my hour has not yet come, because he knew the moment that I am being revealed as Messiah, these miracles, these signs, these wonders, remember, as, uh, the, immediately following, Lazarus being raised from the dead, they, they put a, a, a warrant out on Jesus. He knew it is going to be a very rapid process of initiation that will lead to my crucifixion at Golgotha the moment this word starts to break out. He had no intentionality of, of performing a sign. But Mary petitions her son, petitions the Lord, and pulls something that is over here in the future into the present. Despite the fact that he said he had no intentionality, he listened and he did it. And we don't just see that through Mary in the scriptures. We see it through Moses. We see it through Hezekiah. We see it time and time and time again. We see it through Ezekiel. We see it through Isaiah. That God is, again, looking for resting places. He's looking for dwelling places. So it's not, what is going on is not necessarily that us as humans have the ability to change his mind. It's that we finally come into an aligning place, and God says there, that's what I'm looking for. Jake mentioned, you mentioned earlier what I said about Smith, and uh, you didn't know this, but that's part of what I, the direction I wanted to take this into tonight, because uh, to illustrate a little more about sovereignty and human agency, um, a few years ago, uh, I was listening to someone ministering just online, and, and they were quoting Smith, and something very, Smith was very famous for saying, and they quoted him, and what Smith said was, if God's not moving, I'll move him. Now, when I heard that, I was so offended and went to God offended, complaining about it. Sometimes we think we're going in intercession and it's just complaining, it's not intercession. And I'm complaining, and you know, if you ever try to out-theology God, it doesn't work too well. And I'm saying, God, this is so arrogant, I can't believe, blah, 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 blah. And he's saying, what's your problem with it? And I said, because everything that I'm studying and digging into regarding your sovereignty leads me to believe that this is just sheer arrogance. And the exact wording that I said was, I would say, my wife Camden will be, will be God. And this is what I, I was saying in prayer. I said, I think it is complete arrogance of Smith to say that he could take your hand and move you to heal, that he could take your hand and move you unto revival, move you to save, move you to deliver. And he spoke to me and he said, you're right, son, but you're only half right. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you mean? And he said, Smith did move me, but he did not move me through moving my hand. He moved me through moving my heart. 
this was not arrogance on the part of Smith. This was Smith having his heart anchored in the revelation that God's presence, anointing, and fire will fall on sacrificial vessels. So him saying, if God's not moving, I'll move him, is saying, if no one else here is willing to become the sacrifice, I am. And I will posture myself in that place for him to come. Psalms 84, 11 says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He'll give grace and glory. And he says, no good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. The upright life is fruit of a heart that's laid down. As you and I posture ourselves in, in this way, in this place of surrender, in this place of yieldedness, we're literally position ourselves, positioning ourselves for revival. We position ourselves for revival through obedience. Now, there is a sovereign element, as, obviously we, as we mentioned earlier. Otherwise, this would be the key to starting revivals. There is sovereignty. There is timing. There are things that you and, I, you and I cannot facilitate a spiritual movement. We can organize external results of a spiritual movement, but you cannot organize a spiritual movement. That has to be the Lord. The Lord births these movements. The Lord birthed the healing revival of the 40s and 50s. The Lord birthed the explosion of the vineyard. The Lord birthed the Jesus movement. The Lord birthed Toronto. But it took Randy Clark's obedience to go and to be willing, to, even though he said, I only have two messages that are any good, he had to have the obedience to go despite the fear and trembling and stand and declare the word of the Lord because God looks for partnership. If, you're right, if you are writing anything down, there's something I want you to write down. It's this phrase, revival requires real estate. And I'm not talking about buildings. I, the, yes, that when God moves, there's territory, there's corporate, there, there's Houses of visitation, absolutely. But the first place of real estate that God looks for is right here. It's in your heart because God looks for resting places. And out of that revival comes. That, uh, in 1904, a young man by the name of Evan Roberts, at 26 years old, was contending for revival. And he's sitting under the ministry of a man using another mighty revival I don't have time to get into, by the name of Seth Joshua. And Seth Joshua is praying a prayer saying, God, bend us. And Evan had already been contending for a very long time for revival to come in Wales. He's not a powerful preacher, a coal miner, and he's contending for this. He had been kicked out of his apartment for praying too loud. He had been asking his friends, believe with me for 100,000 souls to come into Wales. God didn't answer Evan's prayer for 100,000. He exceeded it. Winky Prattney and other scholars estimated it was a little over 2.2 million that were impacted as a result of the Welsh revival. And he's hearing Seth pray, bend us, God. He takes it, personalizes it, and he's praying, God, bend me. That sounds like a crazy prayer until we realize that God wants us broken. He doesn't just want openness from us. He wants brokenness from us. He, he, he's not looking for, again, this attitude of spiritual violence. He's not looking for, God, if you want to bring it about, here I am, I'm open. He wants broken hearts. He wants you to be tormented by the promise. That's when you're ready to possess the promise, when it, when it haunts you. And God the Holy Spirit of God fell upon Evan Roberts and birthed this mighty outpouring in Wales that so many uh, tremendous things that came as a result of this. Uh, he, he found a resting place in Edward Miller in 49 in the Argentine revival. Oh my goodness, it's almost seven o'clock. I'll tell you one more story here and, and, and we'll wrap this up and we'll pray. Um, God, God is going to be, listen, we're trying to think of how to say this with uh, in a way that's a bit diplomatic. We're, we're in a storm right now 
that is not going to let up, it's going to worsen. It's going to get more intense. There's going to be more and more, and more shaking. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that while we are inheritors of an unshakable kingdom, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So the shaking we're seeing around us right now is God. It absolutely is God. All of the shaking, and it's an answer to you and I's prayers, whether we realize it or not, because when we're praying, and what church has been crying out, a charismatic movement's been crying out for years, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we don't realize it, but when you're, when you're praying your kingdom come, simultaneously, you are praying collapse and disrupt all other earthly inferior kingdoms so that yours will be established. And so what we're seeing right now is the Lord. And the, the good news is that God does not need Trump to bring revival. He doesn't. He doesn't need Donald Trump to bring revival. I'm not, now listen, whoever is the president, biblically, you pray for them, you support them. It doesn't matter whether you like them or not. If Biden becomes president, you pray for him. Intercede for him. Pray, pray for visitation of God to your leaders. But the good news is that Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 tells us that the government rests upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. It doesn't rest upon the shoulders of any candidate or political affiliation. As a matter of fact, the whole point of the gospel, while it's political, is that it's not partisan, is that the kingdom of God, the government of God, looks totally intrinsically, distinctly different from any other government. And it rests upon him, and he's going to bring about his purposes. But he uses you and I in this. And I want you to be encouraged to stand firm. This promise to the people in the book of Hebrews, it was written to them in a time where they were disheartened and they were considering departing from the faith because of the trials, because of the hardship, the persecution. And so they're being exhorted, don't turn back. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing onward. A good friend of ours, prophet named Kim Moss, says, you've not come this far only to come this far. If God has declared you are going to the other side, then guess what? You are going to the other side. We need to be encouraged in this season right now. We need to be encouraged and remember that I also was, did this with intentionality earlier to tell you the climate of the outpouring that took place in Argentina. And it's not only Argentina, but I could walk you through the climate of Wales. I could walk you through the climate of England, through the ministry of Whitfield and, and the Wesley brothers and the Moravians. And... All of these mighty revivals never come in a time where it's peaceful. I've yet to read of one that occurs at a peaceful time. That is an authentic revival. They all occur in days of deep depression, moral darkness, anxiety, great fear, economic turmoil. This is when they, this is when they occur. This is when they break out. God's just amening this right now. <laughs> and we need, to, we need to be encouraged to stand firm in the midst of this. And I want to tell you, be encouraged as you're being obedient that even when it looks completely opposite of how you wanted it to look, God's at work. Even when it looks like all hope is lost, God is at work. Even when what you think is your greatest failure, God is at work. He is at work. And, uh, oh, Camden... Uh, my wife who's over here. Can you stand up or just wave your hand or something so they know who you are? If, you're any, if any of you don't know my amazing wife, uh, and this is her, but her great-great, two greats, I believe, great-great uh, uh, grandfather was a man by the name of Harold Earthman. And Harold Earthman 
uh, was the partner, did all the business strategy and uh, things like that for a man by the name of Mordecai Ham, who was an evangelist uh, in the 1900s. And if you haven't heard of Mordecai Ham, uh, Edward Kimball was a man who, who led uh, D.L. Moody to the Lord. D.L. Moody led Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman led Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday led Mordecai Ham to the Lord. And uh, her grandfather was, great-great-grandfather was partnering with him. They were doing these crusades. They were seeing a lot of fruit. And there's one in particular in, in uh, 1934 that took place where they were being uh, very, putting a lot of effort into it, pouring themselves into it, spending lots of finances on it, expecting a big turnout. They do it, didn't get the turnout they expected. And when it was time for the altar call, only one person came forward for their crusade. Now, you know, talk about discouraging. And Mordecai wrote in his journals, Crusade, Charlotte, North Carolina, 1934, complete failure, only one 16-year-old saved. But the one 16-year-old saved was Billy Graham. In their obedience, what they thought was their greatest failure was actually their greatest victory, their greatest triumph. And through their willingness to just yield, to say yes, to do it, even when it was in the natural, every sign of success stripped away. And God uses that to raise up one of the greatest evangelists, revivalists that we've had the privilege of seeing walk this earth. Even when it doesn't look like what you want it to look like, be faithful, be obedient, press in. Press in in the midst of the shaking. Don't give up in the midst of the shaking. That's what the enemy wants you to give up. He wants you to be inundated by a spirit of fear that suppresses you, that silences you. I want to tell you, listen, we need some social distancing from social media. <laughs> Psalms, Psalms 34, three, 3 and 4. David says in verse 3, magnify the Lord with me. And in verse 4, he says, after I sought the Lord, he delivered me from all my fears. So the fruit of David's magnification was deliverance from a spirit of fear. So what I'm saying right now is we're expecting revival and expecting awakening is what are you magnifying? Because that's making all the difference in the world. I remember the first time I ever used a magnifying glass. Uh, I was about eight years old, and I was watching these friends of mine take them, and, and if the, you kind of position it the right way, you can catch the light of the sun, and you can fry ants. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. I want to do that. And I, you know, learning how to just zap them, you know. Have you ever done that? As it were, you, don't, you might not want to confess it. That's okay. I've got, I promise I'm healed up now. But I, I remember the funny thing is looking at this ant under, under this particular lens, it's like, it looks like a mutant super ant, Right? It makes every, whatever you have this lens on, it's going to get bigger in your eyes. And so what the, the enemy's tactic right now is that, let's say, here, here is the face of Jesus before you. If you put anything up in front of your face and you focus on this, everything, everything around here is obscured. Everything uh, outside of that is blurry. So what the enemy wants you to do is get your eyes off of this and put it on everything that's happening out here. It's to distract you. 
99% of the warfare that, that people are encountering, I'm not saying, I don't mean distraction as in it's not substance, that it's not real, because it certainly is real, but it is distraction. Distractions come to alienate your heart from the revelation of his rule and reign. So what I wanna encourage you with and leave you with uh, on the subject of revival and your partnership is remember that God is sovereign, remember that he's Lord, remember that he brings it about, remember that he partners through us, lean into obedience no matter how weird it is. If God tells you to come and hit the pulpit, you guys know what I mean? Then do it. Whatever it is he tells you to do, trust him. I, I promise he's very intelligent, he knows what he's doing, he has a plan. And lean into him and rather than leaning into the intimidation tactics of the enemy, rather than leaning into a, into a spirit of fear. And trust him, watch what he's going to do. And that being said, revival is absolutely about the person of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, what I want us to do now is to stand up. And uh, is this okay? Are we okay on time? I want to, I, I really feel that the Lord is going to uh, touch many people tonight and, and what I believe will be a very, uh, very profound way. And um, I wanna do actually, let's do no music or anything like that. We're just going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. And if, you, if any of you have uh, never, if you would say I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit or maybe not familiar with a term like impartation, uh, in Brazil, in Portuguese, there's no word for impartation. So we use the phrase, the transference of the anointing. I don't have time to do a teaching on impartation. But the reality is that not only the person of the Holy Spirit, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charismata, can be transferred, and we see this again and again and again and again in the New Testament. Now, it's not only through the laying on of hands. I don't have to lay hands on you because it's not, none of us, not me or Jake or Anna or Camden or any of us that impart or give anything. We're just mailmen delivering packages. So don't tell us what you want. Tell the Lord what you want. Tell him what you're contending for. In your heart as you're crying out for awakening, crying out for revival, and, and trust him. I believe that he's going to give it to you. Mariah Woodworth Etter, when she was talking about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, says, I asked God to grant to me the same power he gave the Galilean fishermen to anoint me for service. I came to him like a child asking for bread, and I looked for it, and he did not disappoint me. He will not disappoint you. All those who hunger and thirst will be filled. I don't know exactly what, how it's going to look. Sometimes it can come with a holy chaos. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's a, a fire. Sometimes it's a shaking of seeing God already touching many of you. But I'm gonna uh, tell you some of the signs to know that the Holy Spirit is touching you. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you these signs. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna wait for a few uh, moments on the Lord. And those who are experiencing those signs, I wanna pray for you first and then pray for everybody else who wants prayer. And uh, just stretch your hands out in front of you. Just close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. And in, in your heart right now, tell the Lord what it is that you want from him. He wants to use you. More than you want to be used, he wants to partner with you. And he will use you. He who is Faithful will do it. So, Lord, I ask for a release of your anointing right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, whatever it looks like, we welcome you. We, 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 we lay down any barriers in our heart, any hindrances. Lord, I pray that you just sever them, that you just cast them aside. 
in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, let your presence come and cascade upon us. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Now we're gonna wait on the Lord. As we're waiting, these are some of the signs. Some of you, as I'm already seeing it happen around the room, uh, some of you, your hands are going to begin to feel uh, tingling or like they've gone to sleep. And for some of you, they're going to begin to shake, uh, whether it's your whole hand or specific fingers. Some of you are going to begin to feel your heart flutter and beat very rapidly. Many of you, your eyelids are going to flutter very quickly and uncontrollably. Many of you, your feet are going to feel heavy as if they're, you're sort of stuck in place or being weighed down to the floor. Many of you are going to have tears come in your eyes or begin to cry as the love of God touches you, what we call a baptism of love. Some of you are going to feel fire come into various parts of your body, heat on your body, especially in your hands uh, or on your head. These are all just signs that the Holy Spirit is coming and resting on you. Some of you will feel like a weight is pushing you down as the Lord's glory is touching you. In the name of Jesus, Father, I bless what you're doing. I pray, Lord, that, that what we see all over the world and the activation of the gifts of the Spirit would take place now, that it would come even more. Lord, that, that the giftings of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, gift of faith would be stirred up freshly in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you would let there be a transference of your anointing, that you would let there come now an impartation of your grace of your grace, Lord, in the name of Jesus, more Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome you. We bless what you're doing. Thank you, Father. Now, we're gonna stay in this place. All of you, if you're feeling all or any one of those things happening to you, I want you to just come up here as close to the front as you can get and um, anyone who's uh, on the ministry team to help with catching or ushers or anything like that to just Kind of, kind of work with me. You guys can just come up all the way up here to the front and just, just fill this up up here and just stay in this, this posture of receiving from the Lord. Yeah, thank you. Too. And this is remaining open, by the way. If you're not feeling something at the moment, but you start to, then just continue to come up here and we're going to just lay hands on you and bless what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing. And so uh, can somebody raise your hands, any guys who are, can you, can you stand behind this lady right here in the, in the blue dress, sir? Jana, in the name of Jesus, I bless the power of God that's on you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come more and fill her up. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, we bless Jana. Lord, let your anointing just come upon her. In the name of Jesus, more Holy Spirit, we bless what you're doing. We bless what you're releasing. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, yes, 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 in the name of Jesus. Lord, I bless your back, I bless what you're doing in the back and the stomach region, the healing that's happening there. In the name of Jesus, more, Lord, more, Lord. Just stay, stay leaning into him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More, Holy Spirit, I bless the prophetic anointing on her. More, Lord. So we, we, we are making space for things like this because, as I said, revival doesn't take place apart from the person of the Holy Spirit, apart from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And whenever there is revival, you find that these things are supercharged. It's that, that yes, there is the sovereign element that there's God moving and visiting, but he does it, as I said, through individuals that he fills with his power, that he fills with his Holy Spirit, that he uses in the gifts of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord. Let the word of knowledge just be. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to pray some prophetic things I was feeling during worship. Um, I was seeing specifically like a tent peg, and I felt like it was like a tent peg in the ground for holiness and righteousness in this place. 
And so it made me think of, I felt like the Lord reminded me of in Judges, uh, where Jael used the tent peg to kill the army of the Canaanites, the leader of the army of the Canaanites, Sisera. And I feel like the Lord's using you in this way here because you have stood for holiness and for righteousness in this place, and that God has used you all as determined and set and people that are standing strong. Something else that I felt about that as well is that it was JL that killed him. It was the unsuspected person. It was the person that, you know, Barak didn't, he was the one that was expected to kill him, but it was God that used JL. And I feel like the Lord is raising up the unassuming, those that may not see themselves as a leader, those that may not see themselves as the one with the voice, the one that's charging but that God's raising up people like that. So I just bless that here in this place, those that are set, those that are standing strong in Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of this house to you and to declare your word and your name. So I just pray you'd increase. I thank you, Lord, for the deposit of your presence here. I thank you, Lord, for their devotion and purity to you in Jesus' name. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd raise up those uh, that, that do not see themselves maybe as the one that is going to lead the victory. And I thank you, God, that you are backing them in this place. Just as Ryan said with Randy, that Randy did not assume that he was going to be the one to lead the revival. He only had two messages. But I feel like the Lord's backing people here and raising you up in this place because he's behind you and because you're standing strong. So I just bless that in Jesus' name. I just pray an increase. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father, for what you're doing here in this place. Thank you, God. Jesus, just increase your presence here, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your fire, God. Thank you, Jesus. Just pray you continue to release your healing power here, God. Another word of knowledge that I got during the worship was anything with neck issues. I was seeing like specifically right along here, uh, the vertebra and the neck. So if you have any problems with that, with moving it around, any type of range of motion issues, then I just pray healing upon you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for your healing power. Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus. I just want to pray along with um, what Camden shared about righteousness and holiness. I just really feel like there's a fire of God's holiness that uh, he wants to burn afresh in people's hearts. And in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the Lord and he said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And it was like that angel took a coal from the altar. It was a fire and he cleansed the lips. I believe there's a cleansing that God's going to do. And um, so I just want to pray for that right now. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus for the fire of your holiness to burn afresh in your people. God, I thank you, Lord, that it's not a holiness based on legalism or outward works, but it's a holiness based on a burning heart, God. A burning heart on fire for you. It's a, it's a fire of your love and a fire of your holiness. The Lord's drawing people back to a place of first love tonight. God, I thank you for the fire of your love and the fire of your holiness tonight, God. I pray for a baptism of your fire right now in the name of Jesus across this room. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit, Lord, just fall upon the people, Lord. Let us be those sacrifices that are laid down. And as we are surrendered on that altar, let that fire fall right now, God. I thank you for it falling upon your people right now, whose hearts, Lord, are turning to you, toward you in a fresh way.
God, I thank you for a holy boldness that you're releasing to your people. A holy boldness. God, your word says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I thank you that you're giving an increased boldness over your people, God. An empowerment by the Holy Spirit for people, Lord, to, to be bold in your word, to be bold in speaking, to be bold, Lord, not, not out of arrogance or rudeness, but out of a holy boldness by your spirit, God, that breaks through intimidation, that breaks through anxiety, it breaks through fear, it breaks through suppression, Lord. Let your voice be released, God, in the name of Jesus. Let your voice be released, Father. I thank you, Lord, for a prophetic anointing, Lord, over, over people in this room, God, to speak your word. God, even the testimonies that were shared tonight, God, I pray that you would release those types of boldness and those types of encounters Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for everything that's been shared tonight, everything that's on your heart for this group of people, for this region, for this body. Father, I, I pray in the name of Jesus that what you did in Argentina, Lord, we thank you that it's not the end it's not the last of it in the name of Jesus. Lord, let what you did in Argentina be birthed through the greater Lancaster region, through Threshold Church, God, what you did through Evan Roberts and Wales, what you did through the Mariah Woodworth Edders, the Catherine Coleman's, the Wigglesworth, the Moody's, the Finney's, the Bertha Smith's, the Marie Monson's, God, the Peter Cartwright's, the Francis Asbury's. Lord, we pray that you would do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. We, uh, we just agree together with those things that uh, Jake was declaring, the fire of your presence, the fire of your holiness, that, when there, uh, that holiness goes in tandem with revival, God, that you revive the hearts of your church, you, know, you revive the hearts of your people, Lord, unto fresh obedience to the word of God. John Wesley described, defined revival as a return to wholehearted obedience to the word of God. Lord, let that obedience, that fresh anointing, that fresh outpouring from heaven come. Uh, let it flow, yes, God, externally to our nation, to the nations of the earth, and we thank you that it begins internally. It begins in the heart. It begins as you, uh, the grip of God comes upon human hearts and restores us unto obedience, unto holiness, unto righteousness, and then revival begins to flow from that place, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we say, do it again. We say we love you. We honor you, Lord, and I, I pray that we would live in a posture that says at any time you get to wreck our agenda. At any time, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Amen, I wanna say, I just feel led to pray one more prayer, and that is that God will give you divine appointments this week, just because God doesn't anoint and fill and release things just so we can have a, good time on a Sunday night, he does it because there's somebody on the other side of your obedience, right? So I, I'm going to pray over us that there's going to be divine appointments this week uh, of people uh, for you to give things away to, for you to pray for or share the gospel with or bless or just give a word of encouragement. 
whatever that is, whatever obedience is. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would bring us into those divine appointments for this week, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in our streets, Lord, whether it's at a restaurant or a store. God, I ask, Lord, that you would lead us by your spirit and make us more sensitive to your spirit. And uh, Lord, just that grace for quick obedience, that grace for quick uh, following your voice, God. So I just thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done in this place. Thank you for Brian and Camden and just for what you've released and imparted through them tonight, God, through your word and through your spirit, God. We just say thank you. We say yes and amen in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just give the Lord praise. and uh, just Amen. Amen. Brian, thanks so much for being here tonight. Thanks for sharing. Cameron, thank you so much. Just blessed to have you guys with us tonight. Well, God bless you. Feel free to stay and linger. Uh, if you're just you know, still at the altar, feel free to stay and linger. If you want to wait on the Lord longer, um, feel free to be dismissed if you need to. We can just put a little background music on. And uh, yeah, feel free to be dismissed if you need to. Feel free to stay and pray and linger, wait on the Lord. God bless you. Have a great rest of your evening. Look for those divine appointments this week in obedience to the Lord's leading. Amen. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.